just a few minutes. If you're visiting with us again, we welcome you. It is uh, exciting to think that we have two young men and others also that are helping lead a service tonight in a congregation over in the Murfreesboro area. Uh, Timothy Thompson and Matt Collins is speaking there tonight, and we appreciate so much uh, Jeff Brown making these opportunities available. We appreciate each of our young men that have participated this year in gaining experience in serving God and leading in worship, and we look forward to seeing what our young people will continue to do, not just in their youth, but even as young adults and into adulthood. God has blessed us with a tremendous resource with our young people, and we love them much, and we're thankful for them. Uh, Many of you probably noticed that you're seeing much better tonight. It's not because you ate carrots last night. It is because... We have a few guys that have changed a lot of light bulbs. We want to say thank you to Jamie Harper, Tim Martin, Nick Nance, and also James Whitaker and David Burka. They spent several hours here the other night, and, and it really is brighter. Uh, we're thankful for uh, Jim Pelfrey and for the directory that is being made available. I know many of you picked that up before services, and there is a rule. You're not allowed to look at that during worship. And, uh, but we're glad that you have yours, and be sure and remember, you can pick that up, I'm sure, after services uh, tonight also. God is good to us. He gives us so many blessings, so many opportunities. Let's all be prayerful. As a church family, there are a lot of opportunities that come and a lot of opportunities that go, and let's be prayerful that we're always taking advantage of those opportunities that God would want us to take advantage of and letting others go that may not be of God. The man said that as uh, the supervisor at work, he was receiving a lot of disrespect. So after feeling that, especially after a particular meeting one morning, he immediately went down to a local sign shop and he had him a sign made and it said, I am the boss. He went back to his door just under his name. He placed that sign. He felt pretty good about his morning, knowing that that would probably help gain him a tremendous amount of respect. He took an early lunch. When he came back from lunch, he found a post-it note under that sign that said, your wife called, she wants her sign back. (laughs) You know, that's a light-sided way to look at a very serious issue. And that is the topic of leadership. It's not always easy. What a blessing it is whenever we can look in the Scriptures and we can see where God gives tremendous insight specifically to elders, to the leaders of the church. When we read Acts, the 20th chapter, I get excited thinking about it. It's almost like, because Paul here is recording this by inspiration, his speaking here that really is recorded by Luke, but it's recorded by inspiration. And so it's almost like we're getting to just peek over the shoulders and we're getting to listen in on a conference where the Lord would say, this is what I want elders to know. I realize most of us here are not elders, but think about it. There will be many here that will become elders. We need to know what God wants us to grow into. But also all of us that are faithful Christians love and respect and submit to elders. The better we can understand what God asks elders to do, the better we can understand why it's important to submit to their leadership. And also the bottom line is, 
I need to study every passage in the scriptures because every passage is important for everybody's learning. And so it is tonight. Let's think about this tremendous topic that unfolds in Acts the 20th chapter. Let me give you just a few sentences of background. Paul went in and he spoke and spent just a small amount of time at the end of a second missionary journey with the people at Ephesus. There was something there that was intriguing and doors that must be opened again went through Paul's mind. So he promised them, I will return. Shortly he did return again and did something that's very unusual for Paul. He spent three years with those brethren. You know, we, we recognize Paul as being one that spent weeks or months places. Why did he stop for three years? That's interesting just to think about. And then the love and the relationships that would have been built and nurtured over those three years as he fought the false teaching that would come out of the temple of Diana. And as he worked in that big city, a city that that had a lot of intellect in it. Later he would leave that city. The Spirit would be sending him a message that as he would enter into Jerusalem, something serious in his life was going to take place. Paul literally thought that when he returned back to Jerusalem, he would die. Now, as we read the rest of Acts, we realize that wasn't the case. He would be bound, but he would not die. But keep in mind, Paul thought he was going to die when he goes back to Jerusalem. So on his way back, he has that love and concern for the church in Ephesus. So he pulls into a port city of Miletus, having sent a messenger, tell the elders to come down. I want to talk with them a church that he loves dearly, people that he believes he will never see again, and he has a final message of love and concern for that congregation. What would it be for those elders? I need to note this. A strong church must have strong leaders. Because a church never travels in a direction that her elders are not traveling. When you see a congregation that over time has been a strong evangelistic church, I can promise you that over time that eldership has been a strong evangelistic eldership that has led that church in that direction. When you see a church that over time has been a strong church standing on the doctrine of Jesus promoting unity and love, I can assure you that there is an eldership over time that has stood on the unity of scriptures and provided unity and love among the people. When you see a church that is far to the left over a long period of time, you can rest assured there's an eldership that's far to the left. When you see a congregation that's far to the right over time, you can rest assured there's an eldership that's far to the right. When you see a church that's in the middle of the road, staying right with Jesus Christ, His doctrine, nothing more and nothing less, over a long period of time, you can rest assured there is an eldership that led them in that direction. Friends, how important is a strong eldership? It's everything to the life and the future of a church. Someone says, I think what's more important is having strong families. You have a strong eldership and they're going to grow strong families. Someone says, I think the sound doctrine is more important. You have a strong eldership, you're going to have sound doctrine taught. Someone says, I believe evangelizing the world is more important. You have a strong eldership and the world is going to be evangelized. Friends, we can't overestimate the importance of godly, strong 
leadership. Now, as we think about this, there are, are just so many characteristics that we could pull out about leadership that Paul, the one that was the early leader in that congregation, but yet once that congregation left her infancy, elders were appointed and now they become the leaders of that church. And Paul's dropping back through. He could have just wanted a family reunion. Think about it. He thought he was going to die. He could have sent word, I want everybody in Ephesus that I've spent three years with, I want you to meet me at Miletus and, and we're going to have a, fi- a farewell picnic. Let's visit. I want to see everybody again. That wasn't his purpose. He could have said, I want the youth to come down from Ephesus because after all, we always say they're the future of the church and, and I want to make sure that, that I can get into their ear and that I can tell them things that's important. I'm sure Paul loved youth. I know I love the youth. I know this congregation loves the youth. But you know what? Now please take this in context. Really, the future of the church is not the youth. The future of the church is the leadership. A strong leadership grows the next generation into strong Christians. Friends, it is a resounding point that of everybody Paul could have called down, he called the elders of the church. A final message to the elders of the church. Because if he could strengthen them in their task that God had given them, it would strengthen the entire congregation of Ephesus. What did he say to them? Let's start reading in Acts, the 20th chapter, and we're going to pick up in verse 17 and read several verses together and then come back and highlight a few things. Acts, the 17th, uh, I'm sorry, the 20th chapter, beginning at verse 17. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church, and when they had come to him, he said to them, You know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility and with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept nothing that was helpful, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see now, I go bound. You see, this is where he knows that there's something going to happen in Jerusalem. See now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. See there? There's what he thought. He, didn't see, he wouldn't see them again. 26, therefore I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves. Now he's speaking to the elders. 
Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Let's skip down to 36. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke that they would see his face no more, and they accompanied him to the ship. One of the things that I need to see and I need to learn from Paul as he is helping educate here and encourage and inspire the elders, keep a focus on Jesus Christ. His life, someone might say, well, his life was to serve the church. Now, notice again as we look in verse 19 how he described his life. At the end of 18, he says, When he came into Asia, what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord. Friends, godly elders, godly leaders, godly deacons, preachers, teachers, heads of home, godly individuals realize that their life is all about serving God. You see... We address each other by our conduct and by our love and by our service based upon who our God is, not necessarily based on who each other are. In other words, when the Lord tells women to submit to their husbands, He says it's fitting to the Lord, not because your husband is worth submitting to. When He tells children to obey their parents, He doesn't say you do it because your parents are worthy of your obedience. He says because it's right in the Lord. You see, when we think about elders and their task, why do they serve us? They serve us because Paul says they're serving the Lord. When I realize that what I do as a Christian man or a Christian woman in relation to other has everything to do about who my God is, it changes the way I have relationships and practice those relationships on a daily basis. But not only did he see his life as a service to the Lord, notice the focus was on the Lord, but he also in verse 28 talked about the church and he said it was the church of God and he says it was purchased by his or Jesus' blood. It really makes me uncomfortable when preacher friends walk up to me and, and they talk about, that. well, my church, well, my people, I think I know what they mean. But friends, that communicates the wrong message. You and I don't own a church. When I speak to elders, and I'll have the blessing to speak a couple times this week to elders, and I try to always share with them passages like this and what I get to experience when I sit in and hear our elders talk in elders meetings, what we hear frequently is this. This isn't our church. This is the Lord's church. Friends, I need to realize that if I have a leadership position in my house, it's not really my house, it's the Lord. Unless the Lord builds the house, I labor in vain that build it. We're just stewards of that house. A man that serves as an elder, it's not his church. It's the Lord's church. 
You see, the focus remains constantly upon Jesus. And even the people that they oversee, it's God's people. I love this phrase. Look in verse 32. Look in verse 32. Notice again, it's almost like Paul saying, let me tell you what to do with these people. Now see, the fear is that false teachers were going to come in. And so then the question is, what are we going to do with the people when when false teachers begin to attack? Notice, he says, so now brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you inheritance among those who are sanctified. The word commend could also, uh, it, it also means deposit. He's literally saying, I deposit you. I place you in the hands of God. How are you going to place someone in the hands of God? You place them in the word of his grace. The only way people are safe is in the grace of God. The only way we can learn and submit to the grace of God is to learn it through the scriptures. When people realize that they belong to God, notice how the focus is all upon God. The focus is all upon Jesus. Think about this. Let's summarize this. Paul, what's your life about? You're a great missionary. Your life is about people. He said, no, my life is about serving Jesus. Paul, what about the church? That's your church. No, it's not my church. It's the Lord's church. Paul, what do you try to get the people to focus on? I deposit the people into God, into the word of the Lord. That is the characteristic of godly leadership. When everything we do is focused upon the Lord. But secondly, another tremendous point is how Paul felt the burden of his leadership. When we think about leadership, it it really is the idea of influencing people to move. And let's just say here for this illustration, from point A to point B. The Mount Julia congregation has met at this location for 116 years this fall. Do you believe that you individually can grow spiritually? Do you believe as a church that there's still a great future, but we're going to have to grow and meet those opportunities? In other words, advance into that future. I believe all of those things are true. I believe we can grow individually. I believe we can grow collectively. I'm talking about knowledge. I'm talking about spiritual dedication. I believe we can grow individually. I believe we can grow collectively. I believe the Lord is going to continue opening doors. But here's the question. God always moves people forward through leaders. Start fanning the first few pages of the Bible and go all the way to Revelation and you don't see an exception to that. God always moves people forward through leadership. Now here's the question. Over the next decade, will Mount Juliet Church of Christ move from point A to point B? Growth. Individuals growing stronger, individuals and collectively meeting opportunities and doors that open. I believe we can. But I say that because I believe and respect the eldership that we have. People don't move people unless they have a burden in their heart, unless it's real, unless it's felt unless it's what they think about some nights as they're drifting off to sleep, unless it's a part of their morning prayers and sometimes why they fast, unless it's the depths of their heart, people don't move people. Paul, how serious was it to you? Let's glance at a few of these. Look at verse 19 as we see here in the same chapter 20. When he talks about serving the Lord, 
Notice the description here. Serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. Skip down and, and look at verse 31. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Here's a leader. And he's literally saying to these other leaders, remember my example. I modeled before you great concern. I modeled before you the burden that was felt to help this congregation grow. And now as he warns them that savage wolves are going to rise up among them, and he warns them to deposit their lives with God and in his word, he reminds them of the burden that it was day and night coming to their homes and crying with them over these concerns. You know, when we look in Nehemiah, the first chapter, you remember the great leader in Nehemiah, the man that built back the wall when it seemed that no one else could offer that kind of leadership. Do you notice there in the first chapter in verse 4 that he immediately began to weep, he began to fast, and he began to pray. He did tremendous things, but I beg you to understand the fact that he could have never done those things if there were not a burden in his heart. Why do some mothers get up and they fervently pray every day for the souls of their children and other mothers never have time to pray? It's because one has a burden in their heart for their children to grow and to mature and the other has no burden for their children to grow and mature in the Lord. Why is it that some fathers would take off work, they would sacrifice time, they would do whatever for the spiritual well-being of their children, and other fathers could care less and won't even get up on time Sunday morning to come to church without being late? Why? What's the difference? This father over here has a burden. How serious it is to him to raise his family in the ways of righteousness. And this father over here doesn't really care. Why is it some elderships, some elderships continually move their people closer to God? That eldership has a burden to do that. They feel it. They understand it. They put their shoulder up under it and they lean heavily upon God and they bear that burden. And there's some elderships, the only thing they ever intend on doing is just keeping the doors open. There is a big difference in a manager and a leader. A manager is only into maintenance. Let's pay the bills. And when Sunday night at 7 o'clock is over, let's shut the lights out, let's lock the door, and let's really not think about this again until Wednesday night. Oh, we're going to have to meet and talk about somebody that's hurting? Oh, surely we can wait till next week. Let's not do that tonight. Let's put that off. You and I, ought to bow our heads tonight. And we ought to thank God for an eldership that cares, that feels the burden of our soul and our pain and our future. Godly elders have a burden. And thank God there's men that's willing to bear that burden. Let's skip down to the very end. 
Look on verse 24. Let's look at the faithfulness. And let's extend an invitation with this particular point. Now, there are many points that Paul made, and I look forward in the months to come. When we come back to this chapter, please don't think, oh, he's preached this sermon once. Over the next 12 months or so, I'd love to come back and pick out various characteristics because it's tremendous teaching that Paul gives here. But notice what he wants to do in verse 24. He wants to finish. But none of these things move me. He thinks he's going to be arrested. He thinks maybe he's going to die. Maybe if he just ran away from Christianity, he could live. The question is, is Paul going to run away from from the Lord? Absolutely not. None of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself. I'll give up my life because my life or my soul is more important to be committed to God than my life to be alive on this earth. So we read on. Notice this. I count my life dear, I do not count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy. If a Christian was martyred, is that a joyful finish? That's what's going to happen to Paul. And he knew that was what was going to happen. And he says that finishes with joy. That's an awesome thought. That's a godly leader. When he can say, if I have finished my ministry faithful, I finished with joy. Even if my life was cut short, even if it was through pain and suffering, when I finish faithful, I finish with joy. And we read on. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. He's sad that he won't see them anymore. But he's happy that he has made a commitment to die faithful. Leaders must persevere. A couple bullet facts, but don't take them lightly because we hit them quickly. No one has strong enough leadership ability to compensate for a lack of spiritual integrity. For an elder to finish faithful, an elder must remain faithful. What scars and harms a church is when her leaders lack spiritual integrity, spiritual faithfulness. Thank God for elders that get up each day and live a godly life and each day say, I'll continue to lead. I'll continue to be an elder. But also, thank God for elders that understand that their life on this earth will not be forever. That's another point that we'll cover at another time, how important it is to help the next generation grow.